Turn with me to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. On that day, When evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the seas obey him? This is God's holy, inspired, inerrant, and infallible word. Amen? And it is perfectly useful for our lives. Day in and day out, you've been working on the Sea of Galilee. Your father was a fisherman, as was his father, as was his father. You're a good Israelite. So you work six days a week, and you attend the synagogue on the seventh. It is here in the synagogue that you begin to hear the murmurs, the whispering. Something is happening in Israel. Rebellion against Rome and other nations is not an infrequent occurrence for the people over the last few centuries. So you begin to wonder if perhaps there is a new revolution on the horizon. Perhaps even the long-awaited Messiah who will usher in God's perfect rule and reign. It's not long before you begin to realize that the strange, monk-like man that you've heard of here and there, the one who's been living in the desert and preaching, John is his name, as you'll recall, is beginning to cause a stir in Israel. At first, everyone thought he was simply out of his mind. But then it seemed like people were going to him from all over Israel. Something about a baptism. It begins to feel like a revival of sorts is taking place. One day, you decide to go out and investigate for yourself. Perhaps even receive baptism, although you feel slightly skeptical. But who knows? Maybe this John is the Messiah. Maybe he is the one that we've been waiting for. On some level, you know that you've been living a life that is out of line with repentance. As you approach the place on the Jordan where the multitude has gathered, you see the man, John, and he's arguing with the Pharisees and other religious leaders. You can't believe what you're seeing and hearing. He appears to be rebuking them, calling them to repentance. Something about an axe being at the root. 
Well, as the day carries on, you pull out a few figs and some bread and enjoy lunch on the bank of the river while John continues to baptize. Well, then out of nowhere, John starts to preach. He's proclaiming something, but you can't hear what it is, and so you move closer. As you do, you see another man walking directly towards John. As the man approaches John, John's proclamation grows louder and louder. John is nearly screaming now to everyone around, and he's proclaiming the greatness of the man who's now standing directly in front of him. He's saying things like, I am not worthy of unstrapping his sandal, and I am lesser He is greater. Greater than John? You ask yourself? Who is this man? After John finishes his proclamation, you see a slight dispute between he and the greater one. And then soon after, John baptizes him. As the man is baptized, you see what you think is something like a dove descend upon him. And wondering if, you, if you're crazy, you could swear that you hear a voice that sounds like it's coming from heaven. And the voice says, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. God? Certainly not. Certainly not. God hasn't spoken to his people for centuries. And you know that he won't speak again until the Messiah arrives. Besides, who's ever heard of God having a son? Who is this man, you ask yourself? For over a month after the spectacle on the Jordan, all is quiet in the region. John carries on with his business of preaching, and that leads to his imprisonment. The other man, who you now know of as Jesus, who is from Nazareth, he hasn't been seen since his baptism. Must not have been that special after all, you mumble under your breath. But then out of nowhere, the man from the river thunders onto the scene. And this time, he is preaching, not John. And he's preaching the same thing as John. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Although he's saying the same things as John, you you can't shake the feeling that there's something different about this man. There's something more to him. His words seem to grip you. You feel a strange tension inside of you. It's a battle of sorts. You recognize that his words pierce you down to the very soles of your feet, and you hate that they do. You want to shut out his voice, and yet you're drawn to it like a moth to the flame. You've never been so offended and so compelled at the same time. His words seem to be so full of authority that you can't help but bow the knee of your heart as you listen, even though so much of your flesh is fighting the urge to do so. Who is this man, you ask yourself? And that's when it happens. You and your brother are out on the lake, finishing up the day's casting, and that's when you see him. This man, Jesus, is standing at the edge of the lake, and he's calling for you. Come, 
he says. Follow me, and I will teach you how to fish for souls. You don't know why, really. You can't explain it. But you immediately leave your net and your boat, and you follow the man. This is totally out of the ordinary. Out of the ordinary. Normally, students seek out their rabbis on their own terms. Rabbis never call students to themselves. But you are compelled to respond to this man, Jesus. And so you go. Almost immediately, you realize that there is something special about him. Something more special than you even initially thought as you heard him preach and teach. Where he goes, he casts out demons with effortless authority. He speaks, and by the power of his word, unclean spirits obey. Some of them, right before they are sent to their destruction, cry out to Jesus. But they don't just call him by his name, trying to control him by that power, like so many other false deities. Rather, they call him the Holy One of God. Holy One of God. Who is this man? You ask yourself. As you're traveling together, the man touches lepers. But rather than getting leprosy, the lepers become clean. His teaching in the synagogue is unlike anything you've ever heard before. It's like Scripture is coursing through his veins, and every last word that he speaks rings with authority, power, truth, and love. At one point, this man, Jesus, even forgives a man of his sins. You don't know what to make of that. You know that only God can forgive sins. And really, only God can do any of the things that Jesus has been doing, like healing diseases, casting out demons, and claiming to be the Lord of the Sabbath. You begin to wonder. You wonder at this divinely authoritative teacher who has called you to himself. If he is so amazing... If he is from heaven, as you're starting to believe that he is, then why isn't everyone accepting him? Why isn't everyone believing him? Why isn't everyone following him? Why are so many people rejecting him? Why do the Pharisees seem to hate him? Well, at almost the same time that you begin to ask yourself these sorts of questions, Jesus tells a parable. And the parable addresses that very thing. And the point of the parable is this. People reject Jesus because of their inability to hear. Or, as Jesus says in another way, because the soil of their hearts is bad. And God must enable them to see and hear Jesus' message. He must give them ears to hear and eyes to see. God must give them a new heart. As you one time heard him tell Nicodemus, they must be born again. Jesus has been going strong for months now on end with his ministry. His preaching, his teaching, his healing, his casting out of demons is going nonstop around the clock. You know because you've been with him. Everywhere he goes, you go. And everywhere he goes, the crowds surround him. And they're calling out for healing and for exorcisms, for more teaching, more, more, more. After one particularly long day teaching on the kingdom of God, 
Jesus calls for his disciples, and he asks them to take him to the other side of the lake, the other side of the Sea of Galilee. So you and the other 11 disciples, along with several other boats surrounding you, secure the boat ashore and pick up Jesus, just as he is. No change of clothes, no hot meal, no naps, no washing of the feet. Jesus ends this long day of labor as he has ended almost every long day in his ministry. Utterly exhausted. Although this man is obviously heavenly, you've been with him enough to know that he is certainly human. He's fully human. He can be crushed by a crowd if he's not careful. He eats. He sleeps. He goes to the bathroom. And now as he climbs into the boat, you see it in his eyes. He is utterly exhausted from serving the needs of the people. The boat that Jesus climbs into is roughly 27 feet long and 8 feet wide. Four of the disciples take their positions on the rower stations and they lift the sail. At the front of the boat is a place where you have rested many times. A place for weary fishermen to lay their heads as they work throughout the day. And you know you know that there's even a cushion there for sailors to lay on because they spent so much time laying on the hard wood that they had their wives prepare something soft for their shoulders as they rested on their sides. As you travel across the lake, you begin to sense the coming of a storm. You've spent your whole life on the water. You know when trouble is coming. You hope and pray that it's nothing bad. But you know that the worst storms come in the evening with the easterly winds. You feel the cold air begin to descend upon you from the nearby Mount Hermon. And the warm air from the lake is moving quickly, which means that the storm is coming, and it's coming fast. You consider waking your master, but you decide against it. Soon the entire Sea of Galilee is in a squall. The boat becomes utterly unmanageable. Rowing is pointless. Sailing is impossible. The boat now begins to take on water, which is always a sign of impending doom. Everyone on the boat is panicking. Some of the surrounding boats have already capsized, and you wonder how many may already be lost to sea. Through it all, you see your master still sleeping on his cushion. What is wrong with him, you ask yourself? Doesn't he care that we're about to die? Doesn't he care about us? Doesn't he care about me? How can he still be asleep right now? Finally, you rush over to him and you wake him from a deep slumber. You're screaming at him in anger, fear and desperation consuming you. How can you be asleep right now? We are going to die. At this, Jesus rises up, and without so much as even looking at you, he cries out towards the waves, Be still! He uses the same kind of language that you've heard him use so many times when he was rebuking demons and unclean spirits. It's strange. He's not invoking the name of anyone. 
He's merely commanding by the power of his word. He recites no incantation. He simply offers a swift rebuke. He issues an absolute command. As you're processing this, you realize that the sea is now calm. Dead calm. From massive waves to water like glass in a mere moment. How is this possible? You ask yourself. As you're connecting the dots in your head for what seems like an hour, but is actually only a moment or two, your master turns to you and to the others with you. With what can only be described as a look of patient disappointment, he says, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? You were scared of the storm before. You were absolutely terrified. You had no faith, you must admit. Prior to the storm, you would have said that you had faith, but in the midst of the raging sea, it seemed like your faith broke like the waves that pounded the boat. It seems like fear conquered your faith. You were afraid before. But now you're experiencing a much greater fear. Perhaps greater isn't the right word for it. Now you're experiencing a different kind of fear. This fear is something else entirely. It's, it's more profound. It's a weightier kind of fear. And you s- seem to realize now how foolish it was of you to fear a storm more than the man who's standing before you. Who can speak and calm the storm? Whose words can silence nature as it rages? Who can rebuke the power of the mighty sea and make it obey his decree? You've been reading and hearing the scriptures read your whole life. You recall the story of Jonah, another man asleep in a boat that was going to wreck. But he was asleep for a very different reason. You recall the Lord and how he brought the storm upon the sailors, and how he calmed the squall by the power of his might. You remember from Job, and from the Psalms, and from Isaiah, and from Exodus, that only God can control the waters of the deep, that only he has command of the waves. You can still recall Psalm 107, which you memorized as a child. For he spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves, They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunkards. They were at their wits' end. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and He brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. And the waves of the sea were hushed. Yes. Yes, you know from your own experience in the sea how no man, no mere human can control even a square foot of the waters of the deep. You remember how Psalm 107 rang true in your heart from your own experience with hours and hours on the sea. You know that only God can control the sea. 
You've been processing this all in your own little world. But you snap back to reality as another of the disciples grabs you by the shoulder. You look up and you see the wide-eyed gaze of several of the brothers. And it's obvious that they are feeling the same kind of fear that you are. Finally, one of them looks over his shoulder at the rabbi Jesus. And then he looks back at you along with the others. Who is this man? He whispers in quiet desperation. Even the wind and the waves obey him. Who is this man?